All right. Hey, everyone. Once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the exchange. As we just sang, beautiful exchange. Uh, so glad you guys are here with us this morning. Welcome. Um, I'm going to be sitting and joining you sitting because I got ankle surgery on Wednesday and uh, they removed three pieces of bone from my ankle. So that is good news because that bone would get lodged in the wrong spot and cause a lot of pain. And so now it's gone and hopefully in a week or two I can be back to normal playing basketball again. That'd be great. Uh, but welcome. So glad you guys are here. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three. We're making our way through the book of Philippians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along with us, but Philippians 3. Now, as you're turning there, a um, couple of things. Yesterday was awesome. Uh, yesterday, we had our event called the Extravaganza. Um, I just want to, first of all, I just want to thank everyone. Thank you for serving, for attending. Thank you for giving. You can clap it up for our volunteers. They gave so much time and energy. Um, it really was a, an awesome event. We saw, we passed out over 450 goodie bags to kids. So we believe like with parents and grandparents, we saw over a thousand people. Um, we're hoping now that we can just get to know our community, to love our community, to introduce them to Jesus. Uh, we believe Jesus changes everything. And so we want people to know Jesus. And so uh, it was an incredible event. Uh, so again, thank you for serving. Thank you for giving. Thank you for doing those things so we can put on events like this and meet our community. We're so incredibly thankful. In a couple of weeks, we'll try to show you like a little recap video so you can see all that happened there uh, yesterday. It's incredible. Um, also, I do want to make this known. Um, you guys remember the little prayer cards we passed out last week? I hope you've had that on you this week. Um, the three names I wrote down, I've been praying for. I'm planning on meeting one of them Wednesday um, and, and just saying, hey, I've been praying for the last 10 days. Would you come to our Good Friday or Easter service? So we pass out those little prayer cards. There's still some in the back, um, but be praying over those names. Pray about who you can invite uh, to Good Friday and Easter. Good Friday and Easter is obviously this week. It's Good Friday on Friday. Unbelievable. Um, Easter is next Sunday. And so looking so forward to what the Lord's going to do. And uh, we're going to talk about the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection from the Old Testament standpoint. How they're looking forward to the cross and looking forward to the resurrection, we're looking back at it. And so we want to look at, uh, take a different look kind of at that topic. Um, but that is that. Again, so glad you guys are here. Philippians 3. All right, Philippians chapter 3. So let me review really quick in case you're new or you're just kind of joining us. We've been making our way through the book of Philippians for the last like 12 weeks. Uh, we're finishing chapter three today. Can you believe that? And uh, this really has been an incredible journey, I believe, for our church, like a really timely book. We've been looking at this from a few different lenses, but one being Paul's emphasis on joy. Paul being uh, chained to a soldier, Paul being in prison and writing primarily about joy. And what he's writing about is saying, hey, what happens to you does not have to control you. Your circumstances don't have to define your joy. Joy, essentially, Paul is writing about is saying joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. If we could all get that, uh, happiness kind of comes and goes with my circumstances, right? I'm happy. I had ice cream last night. I'm sad. I broke the scale this morning. Like, that's the idea. Happiness fluctuates, but joy is a constant. Joy is steady. Joy is a decision. And our joy is not found in a circumstance. It's found in a person. And Paul from prison is saying, listen, we can have, we can have joy despite our circumstances. And so we're going to actually talk more about that even in a couple of weeks because we really haven't done a, a full teaching yet on joy or rejoicing. So I can't wait for that. Uh, but Paul's writing this from prison. And, and here's kind of our hope. Our hope is that we can also join him in this message. That wouldn't just be some Bible verses we're studying. But we want God to take his word and write it on our heart. 
We want to shape us and transform us. Paul wrote last week, in case you were here or not here, Paul wrote, wrote about this. He said, basically, here's my goal in life. Here's my drive in life. He said, this one thing I do, remember? One thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul basically tells us, here's my drive in life. Here's what keeps me motivated. Here's what keeps me going. Paul wrote about his drive, his focus, and, and our hope is that we can be a church that is driven by the gospel, that our focus is on the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the center of everything we do, that we'd stay focused and saying, we're, listen, we're going to preach Christ and crucified and not be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul's like, this is the one thing I do. I forget what's behind, and I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, last week I mentioned this. Philippians 3 is kind of like Paul's biography. So we'll put this up here so you can kind of see it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11 was Paul's past. Here's who I was. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. We looked at last week Paul's present. Here's what drives me. Here's what keeps me going. And today in our text, we're going to look at Paul's future. Paul's future, essentially. Paul says, listen, we, we're citizens of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. I know where I'm going. I, I know how my life ends. I know where I'll be. I know who I'll be with. And so really the topic today for us is simply citizens of heaven. Um, my hope, my hope is everyone in this room is currently a citizen of heaven, and if not, you will become a citizen of heaven, that you would know where your true citizenship is found. And we're going to look more at this. This is kind of our focus of Philippians. It's been called a colony of heaven, and this is kind of where that text comes from. So we're going to read Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. We're going to read it as a whole, and then we'll pray, and then look at it more in depth, all right? Philippians 3, verse 17, let's read that. Verse 17, Paul says, brethren... Join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. But, he's saying, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Say amen. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's pray and let's look at this more in depth. Father, we thank you that um, we can study your word in this way. God, we thank you for this hope, for this truth, that we are citizens of heaven. Lord, we ask that we would not be in this first class of people that you described, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Lord, we just do ask, I just want everyone in this place to be confident of where their true home is, to be confident of where they are found in you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we just do ask that you'd speak, that you would move, and that, Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, as people cried out, save now, Hosanna, that, Lord, that is our prayer, that is our cry, that you would save now, that you'd remind us of where we are going. And we thank you in your name. Amen. All right, I want to make this really simple. Paul starts off and basically says there's two groups of people. All right, let's just make this really simple. The first group, their end is destruction. The second group, their end is heaven. And he basically defines and describes what this looks like. So there's two groups. Paul's basically comparing and contrasting these two groups of people. He goes either, and this is true for everyone. Think about this. Either your end is destruction or your end is heaven. That's really it. <laughs> Those are the two options we have. And then Paul basically describes, here's how you know your end is destruction. 
He describes the first group. He goes, their God is their belly. We'll talk about that. He says they glory in their shame, and he says they set their mind on earthly things. Now, he talks about the second group. Their end is heaven, and he's not saying this is why their end is heaven. This is why, but he's saying a byproduct of their end being heaven is they're eagerly looking for Jesus. They're longing for Jesus. They know that Jesus has authority over all. He'll subdue all things to himself. And so basically, he's saying, hey, you're either part of the first group or you're part of the second group. Here's what it looks like if you're part of the first group. Here's what it looks like if you're part of the second group. So in a second, we're kind of going to just walk through this text and slowly look at this. Is how are you part of the first group or how are you part of the second group? What does this look like? How does he describe this? Uh, but let's reread really quick verse 17. Verse 17, what does Paul say? He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. All right, here's my first thought, my first point. It's super profound. You're gonna, it's really profound. But here's the first point. You become who you follow. All right, you can write that down. I know it's not that profound, but it's true. All right, you become who you follow. You become who you follow. Think about who you surround yourself with. Think about who's in your life, who speaks in your life. Think about really quick, who do you look up to? Like whose life do you look up to? And if you are a musical type of person and you like musicians, you kind of embrace that musician culture. You kind of see by the way they dress, by the way they talk. There's like a music culture so often, right? If, you're, if you look up to, let's say, wrestling, fighting, all right, and that is something you look up to, you love that sport, eventually you'll become a part of that sport and you'll get cauliflower ear. Like that's part of the process. If you look up to hipsters and your thing is like, I love just that culture of hipsters, eventually become a part of that culture and become unemployed. Um, I'm just kidding. But the idea is, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Who you look up to is so often who you become. Who you look up to is becomes kind of a part of your life ingrained into your DNA. I really want you to consider for a second who speaks into your life. Who do you look up to? Who you look up to is who you follow. So in, in some ways, it's almost like people in your life become an advisory board. So I look up to this culture, I look up to this group of people, and then you only go to them. Hey, what do you think of this outfit? Should I date this person? Do you like this idea? Should I make this move? And the idea is you kind of like the people you look up to, that's the only people you'll really receive from or hear from. So Paul is saying, who you, be who, uh, you become, who you follow. And then here's another thought, just with that, if you want to write this down. If you follow someone, you will end up where they're going. It's a simple truth to think through this. If you follow someone, you'll end up where they're going. If you follow someone, you'll end up where they're going. Maybe you've heard this phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You've heard of that? And this is so true. If you follow someone, you're going to end up where they're going. And so all of us, in a sense, are following someone or something or some philosophy. And who you follow is where you'll end up be going. Uh, and I do want us to think through, what does that look like? So here's what that looks like. Um, all of us, again, allow people to speak in your life. I want you to think, do the people bring you up? Do they tear you down? You know, for sports, for athletes, just so you kind of think through it in this way. I remember just for me, when I was playing basketball, as a kid growing up, I never wanted to play against people that were worse than me. Like, my thought was, I want to play against adults, I want to play against college athletes, I want to play against people better than me. Why? Because they're only going to make me better. I want to learn their habits, I want to see how they work, I want to see what they do in private. My thing was, surround yourself, like, if you only played against people worse than you, eventually you take their habits. Eventually you kind of play like them. You take on some bad habits. And so the Bible, as you guys know, this verse, puts it this way, the same truth I just said. Bad company corrupts good habits, right? You know this. You become who you follow. Bad company corrupts good habits. That's how Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 15. So think about those habits you are forming. 
Think about the people you look up to. You know, if all of your friends are a bunch of lazy bums and they wake up midday and that's what they do and they call you at one o'clock because that's when they're waking up, then probably that will be your habit routine. If your friends are a bunch of gossipers or cynics and they're ultra critical, you'll probably fit in and want to be with the ultra critical people. If your friends are just madly in love with Jesus and just want more Jesus and are trying to live out the gospel, you'll probably become more in love with Jesus. I mean, it's just you become who you follow. Paul says bad company corrupts good habits. I mean, we see this over and over again. And and here's what I want us to see at this next thought. Um, Think through those people you look up to and ask this question, what is their end? So what is their end? So another way to put it is, what is the end they're leading me to? Think through that. What is the end they're leading me to? Because here's what Paul says. Paul says about this first group, and don't miss this. He says the end is destruction. (laughs) The end is destruction. Now, I just want us to like, think through this in our practical life. You know, so often, I, I was a youth pastor, a high school pastor for many years, and I would get questions like, well, why can't I go there? Why can't I date this person? Why can't I go to that party? And sometimes you're just like, because their end is destruction. <laughs> it's like, well, why can't, can I do, can't I do, I can't do this? Like, sure, you can do that. The end is destruction. Like, there's a side of it where you got to come to terms with like, hey, is this group of people, what is their end? What does their life look like? Do I want to mimic that? Do I want to copy that? Do I want to embrace that? He says their end is destruction. And see, here's the thing too. I do think that we can have good intentions so often. I think so often we can say, I want to hang out with this group of people to win them to Christ. I want them to know Jesus. But in the end, we're just becoming like them. Bad company corrupts good habits. See, look at what Paul says again closely in verse 17. Just, just verse 17. Read verse 17 with me. He says, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul has said this in various places. He goes, follow me as I follow Christ. That is a big statement. Um, I want to be able to say that statement with like no conviction, with, like, with I guess conviction, but like follow me as I follow Christ. That idea of just, you know, you can look at my life. The way I pray, you can pray that way. The way I serve, you can serve that way. The way I give, you can give that way. I would love to, like I want to be able to say this, like as Paul says, you have us as a pattern. Look at our lifestyle. Here's one thing I want us to consider. Um, the culture you want we want to see people know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, Jesus at the center of everything. And then you know what we have to do to do that? Let's embody that culture. You see, if, if you say, I want to be a part of a church that is just all about Jesus, embody that culture. I want to be a church that is outreach focused, embody that culture. I want to be a church that's really generous and loving and hospitable, embody that culture. Paul is basically saying, hey, I, I'm living this out and just, and just follow it. You, you can mimic it. You have us as a pattern. You know, again, we can so often go, I don't like how people do this. I don't like how this person does that. Embody the culture you want. Paul says, follow me as a pattern. Because you either follow Paul, and again, notice, Paul is comparing and contrasting. He goes, look at, you can follow us, or you can follow another group. Our end is heaven, their end is destruction. Verse 18, Paul goes on to say this, just so we can read it again. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They're now enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul, who, and I think through the context, is writing about joy. This whole book is about joy. Paul's in prison, chained to a soldier, and he's like, I have joy. Paul, Paul, this guy who just had this focus, he said in Acts 20, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself. Paul was so driven, and then here he's saying, I'm crying. I'm crying like a baby. I'm writing about people now weeping because they once followed Christ, but now they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And I really do believe as Paul was writing that letter, as Paul was writing that sentence, he was weeping. As he's writing and thinking about the people who are once following Jesus and no longer following Jesus, he's literally penning this with tears in his eyes, going to now they're enemies. And something changed, and something happened. 
and something distracted them. And it's weird. I've, I've been, it's weird to say I've been a minute. I've been, I feel like God captivated my heart at a, like a younger age, 16, 17. <laughs> when I was 18 years old, I started Bible study with my friend group. And for the last 12 or 13 years now, I've had the privilege of teaching God's word. And it's been a phenomenal privilege. And if I look back over the last 12 or 13 years, there are some faces that come to my mind and I go, where are they now? Not like, why aren't they in church necessarily, or, but where are they with Jesus? There's some people, and it's sad when I, I think through it, and you, you, literally people from high school come to my mind still, and I'll just start grandly pray for them. I have no idea why they come to my mind. People from our youth group now, having kids and being married, it's so bizarre, and I'm just going, where are they with Jesus? And, and it's very difficult to watch. It's very difficult to see people run this race, run it well, and there's some people who are still running, and there's, and there's some people who are not. And Paul, I think, is looking back and he's going, there's two groups. You can follow us, or you can follow those whose end is destruction. And he goes, now they're enemies of the cross. What does it take to be an enemy of the cross of Christ? You're just not for the cross of Christ. See, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he said, you're either for me or against me. I mean, it's really cut and dry. You're either for the cross. I mean, that is your focus, that is your drive. You want to preach Christ, I'm crucified. And if you're not for it, even if you feel like you're neutral, you're against it. And, and there's this idea, Jesus, like you're either completely for me or you're against me. There's not this middle ground. I'm kind of for you. I'm not really against you. You're either for me or against me. And he goes, there's now enemies. And Paul says, I'm telling you this with a broken heart. I'm weeping as I'm writing about this. You know, it's been said, no one should be able to talk about hell without tear in their eyes. There, there's a side of this where you do think about those whose end is destruction. And, and sometimes I've seen pastors or communicators talk about hell very lightheartedly. And you kind of go, that's a reality for so many people. I mean, their end is eternal death. And that is not something we can take lightly. I do believe God of the universe made it so difficult for people to end up in hell. That literally God comes to earth and says, over my dead body, you're going to hell. Over my dead body, you're going to go to hell. And we're like, okay. People step over the dead body of Jesus. See, Jesus literally is saying, I, will give, I, gave, I gave you myself. I, I, so, I so long that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. I want us to see the Father heart of God that Paul even, I think, is showing us. When you write about the end being destruction, it's not like he's glorying in that. He's like, I'm broken by that. I think we as Christians, you guys, I think we'd be more evangelistic. I think we'd be more outreach-driven if we had the mindset of there's, there's, there's a reality of hell, and there's a reality that there's end is destruction for many. And I think if we are more aware of that, I think we'd be more aware of our need to tell people about Jesus, to just bring it up in conversation, to make it a part of our life, not to go out and do an outreach, but just live missionally, live with that mindset. I do pray that God would do this within our church. That you say, God, break us. Give us a burden for lost people. Give us a brokenness for hell so that the gospel just flows out of us. Not out of like, oh, did I share the gospel this week? Dang it, I didn't. Like, not so we're just like kind of trying to do this checklist evangelism, but we're just always so moved by the fact that some people's end is destruction. And God said, over my dead body. Over my dead body. So how do we just have that mindset? And that is our, pr- that is our prayer this Easter season. We do, we're praying, God, save people not just here, at every church, in, in the world, in South Florida, in America, everywhere. Save people. Do a work, God, that only you can do. And so Paul says, I'm writing this, and I'm weeping, thinking about some of the people who are once with me, who are once following Jesus, and no longer are, and now they're in his destruction. And, and I just pray that this, this would not just be a text we read and study, but that we'd embrace and say, God, let me weep over those who maybe are no longer following. Let me reach out to them this week. Let me call them. Let me say, would you come to, like, let it be this week. It so moves like you've got to come. I don't care if you've been around it before. I don't care if you've heard it before. I know the Holy Spirit can make you alive. I know the Holy Spirit can tear down that veil. And I know they can make you alive to the gospel. Amen?
So he goes, here's the first group of people. Now he defines it. Can we just define it really quick? Look at verse 19. Uh, verse 19, how is their end destruction? He's, he describes it this way. First group, here's the description. He says, whose God is their belly, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So let's walk through that. First one, whose God is their belly. Um, he's not just saying like they eat a lot, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, that's good, good news. Um, no, in some ways it could be about giving into that, but he's saying um, they serve their fleshly appetites. So when, when you see that word belly, whose God is their belly, he's saying their God is their flesh. They serve their flesh. It's self-gratification. It's self-satisfaction. It's the idea of, I want this, I will do it. Who are you to tell me I can't do it? You know, we do, even in colleges, it's really interesting. It's like, if you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink some water. Uh, if you want sex, have sex. Just get whatever your body wants, just do it, give into it. And basically, Paul is saying, listen, the people whose end is destruction, their God is their belly, they're just serving their flesh. They're serving their fleshly appetites. And I, I do want to know, what does that look like for you? This is just all-encompassing, by the way. This is like all the desire, just your desire for things other than God rule you. Your desire for things other than God rule your life. So think, what does that look like? For some people, it is food. For some people, it is like, you know, we, we're funny. Like, we take pictures, like we're taking pictures of food, like it's our kids. Like, oh, new, I have a new baby. Look, it's like it's sauerkraut. I don't know. But like, we're so funny with like, we love food. I mean, we are Americans. We have to <laughs> acknowledge and admit that. Now, there's a side of that that's just fine. That's funny, whatever. There's a side of it where it's like, well, no, maybe that's an idol in your life. Maybe you should explore that. I mean, there's a lot of things like that we could kind of explore and get into. Can I bring this up? Because this is true for the Philippian church. Do you know what they would do in this time? They would literally drink alcohol and gorge and feast and feast to the point where they would literally force themselves to throw up or they just naturally throw up. And then they'd gorge and eat more and drink more. They literally, like historically, they'd go to parties in Philippi, eat and drink, eat and drink, eat and drink, throw up so they could eat and drink more. I mean, this is like indulgement at its finest. He's like, their body, their, their belly is their, their God. That's their worshiping, their flesh. They want something, they just take it. I want sex, I'll have sex. I want power, I'll take power. I want control, I'll take control. He goes, your God is your belly. Your God is your giving yourself fully over to your fleshly appetites. Do you guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau? If not, it's okay. Um, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had sons named Jacob and Esau. They're twins. And if you guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau's the older brother who came out first. Jacob's the younger brother. Jacob means heel catcher, right? Jacob caught, literally grabs onto his brother's ankle and is like, uh, I'm coming with you. Uh, but ever since their childhood, if you look at the story of Jacob and Esau, this is the specific story. Esau was a guy who was like a hard worker, a man's man. Jacob liked to be at home. Literally, it says like at home with his mom cooking. So you have like this man's man out in the field and you had a guy who's like, I just my mama's boy. That's Jacob. So one day, Esau's working really hard. He's trying to make a catch. He's trying to get an animal, trying to get food. He catches nothing. He's starving. He, he almost becomes like a baby. He goes, I'm literally going to die. I'm so hungry. And so he looks at Jacob, who's, you know, in the kitchen a lot, and says, Jacob, I will give you my birthright for a meal. I will give you, like, my dad's inheritance. I'm going to give you that for some food. Jacob's like, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Like, here's a meal. And literally took over the birthright. And, and here's that idea of giving their God as their belly. It is, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And really think about that question. Men and women have exchanged their soul for a lot less than the world. Like he exchanged his soul for a meal. He, in a sense, said, I'm going to show you how weak I am. I'm going to give you my birthright just for a meal. I'm going to satisfy me in the moment, but have consequences later in the future. Is that not sin? I'm going to satisfy this desire. I have a desire right now, and I need to give into it right now. I need to click on this. I need to go there. I need to meet this person. I need to do this right now. And you give in the moment. And yet there's consequences in the future. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Sadly, we give up a lot. Sadly, we don't give up our, we give up our soul for almost nothing sometimes. 
And, and really he's saying their God is their belly. They're the people who have no self-control. I think this is why fasting is so key. I think this is why the idea of saying, you don't control me, body, I control you. You, don't have, you say I'm hungry, feed me, I feed you. But no, no, you say hungry and I say, I'm gonna pray. You don't control me, flesh, I control you, flesh. That's the idea of fasting. Your flesh is saying, feed me, I'm hungry, give into this, do this, go there, drink this, be with this person, do whatever you want. And you're saying, no flesh, you do not control me, I control you. That is the idea. Their God is their belly, Jacob and Esau. Esau gave up his inheritance for a momentary pleasure. What have you given up for momentary pleasure? He says their God is their belly. And look at the next phrase. We'll go as long as this, but he says their glory is in their shame. Their glory is in their shame. It's not like they just sin, but they glory in their sin. You ever been like around a coworker who does that? They're like, you know, like they sin, they mess up. Hey, you should, you should hear what I did last night. You're like, no, I'm okay. No, no, it was awesome. You want to know who I was with and what I did? And you're like, no. They glory in their shame. Maybe you just see this on social media now. People like to glory in their shame. It's like, hey, look at this stupid thing I did. I'm going to tell everyone. And he goes, listen, do not glory in your shame. And then he, the last thing he says, who set their mind on earthly things. And that is a pretty simple definition. He goes, you know what? Physical things matter more to them than spiritual things. Physical things, temporary things, matter more than eternal things. Their mind is on the things of this world. You know, the Bible describes the world as just James 4.4. 4. He says, friendship with the world is to be at odds with God, to be at war with God. And he goes, this, their mind is on earth. They're not thinking about things that matter, things that are eternal. They're not trying to invest their lives into the gospel and to get into God's word. They're just, they're only concerned about the here and now and the moment. And then Paul says, but there's another group of people. There's some people who live for the moment and say, I'm hungry, feed me, I want this, give in. And then Paul says, but then there are citizens of heaven. And these citizens of heaven live differently. And listen, Christians, please, for us following Jesus, when we say we're following Jesus, when we say we want to practice the way of Jesus, it is saying we're going to look different than the world. We're not going to necessarily condemn the world because Jesus said the world's already condemned. We're here to redeem the world through the gospel of Jesus. And so we're going to have a different counter lifestyle, a redemptive kind of lifestyle. And so now he compares it to the second group of people, and he says their citizenship is in heaven. Let's read verse 20 now. Can we move on? Second group. Let's look at that description or definition. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from, whom, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. All right, now here's what I want to like, I want to paint a picture, and it might get a little bit nerdy, some history. It's okay, if you can just bear with me for a few minutes. Um, There's a difference between, and remember, who's Paul speaking to? The context matters. He's speaking to Philippi. Who is Philippi? What is Philippi? Philippi is a city that is a Roman colony. Now remember, the Roman Empire ruled the world, but it had colonies throughout the world. And Philippi, Philippian soil, was Roman soil. So here's, I'm going to get into this. Um, There have been some major world empires that ruled the world. The Egyptians, uh, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, uh, you have the Greeks, and then you have the Romans. But the difference, I think, between the Roman Empire and these other empires uh, is that they didn't just last for a few decades ruling the world. They last for a few hundred years ruling the world. And I believe they did this through this idea of a colony. So here's what happened. Really quick. Again, fun history, fun fact. Uh, there's a battle of Philippi. Maybe you heard of Mark Antony. Ready for maybe some history is going to come up from back in the day. It's okay if not. But Mark Antony and a guy named, what was his name? Octavian. Do you guys Octavian? Mark Antony and Octavian go to Philippi, and there's this battle with this guy named Brutus. Long story short, Brutus loses. The battle's over. Octavian becomes Caesar. 
Octavian is now the known ruler of the world. And when after this battle happened in Philippi in like 42 BC, they go, listen, we don't want to just bring these soldiers back to Rome. Let's just make this, let's just make this Roman soil. Let us make this a Roman colony. So what they did is they said, hey, soldiers, you want to live here? We'll give you land. We'll give you rights. We'll give you property. This is Roman soil. This is yours. So Philippi turned into a Roman colony with a lot of Roman soldiers kind of owning the land, having the land. And at this point in time, it's their kids, it's their grandkids, it's their great-grandkids who really were very loyal to Caesar. Caesar gave them this land. We are Philippians. There would be like a big boast in being a Philippian, having citizenship of Rome. So understand this. Paul says, we, our citizenship is in heaven. And this would be like almost offensive to them because they're going, but do you know who we are? We are Roman citizens. I mean, basically, we're as good as Rome. We smell like Rome. We talk like Rome. We act like Rome. We have Roman philosophy, Roman art, Roman culture, Roman law, Roman government, Roman everything. And Paul says, I know you boast in your citizenship of Rome, but first and foremost, you're a citizen of heaven. And honestly, there's just so many similarities between the idea of having Roman authority or citizenship and Paul saying, no, you have heavenly authority and heavenly citizenship. You see, here's the idea, and we've said this over and over again. Please do not miss this. The goal of the Philippian area, Philippi, bring Rome to Philippi. Paul says, nope, let's stop that. Bring heaven to Philippi. It was no longer bring in Roman culture, Roman law. Let's bring in heavenly culture, heavenly law. Stop trying to Romanize this place and start trying to heavenize this place. And that's what Paul's saying. And why is it so important for the church? Church, what is our role? We can boast in the fact that we are Americans. We have American citizenship. We can boast in that. Or we can boast in the fact that our true citizenship is in heaven. That I'm not here to make America more America. I'm here to make it more like heaven. We're trying to be an extension of heaven to earth. We want people to come in and go, what is happening? Like, there's some, in this room right now, there's different people, backgrounds, cultures, languages. Some of you would never know each other and talk to each other or get dinner with each other, but you have the most important thing in common, that is Jesus. And some of you have friendship and relationship with people you'd never have friendship with. And it almost doesn't make sense. It's just like, how do you guys do this and function? It's like, oh, Jesus. How did you guys come together? You're like, we're here to bring in, be an extension of God's kingdom to earth. And so I, I want us to, like, in a, in a sense, think through that. So here's a few rights. So by the way, if you were a Philippian, you didn't pay certain taxes to Caesar. Uh, you didn't have to pay certain heavy taxes that were Roman-ruled because you're a Roman citizen. So a few benefits. We'll throw them up here really quick just so you can kind of see them. Um, Roman citizens had certain rights. They were protected by the Roman government. That's important. They, ha- they could have property. They could own property. Roman citizens had access to authority, had access to Caesar. So let me walk through this really quick. They could have, they, first and foremost, they were protected by Roman government. Paul is showing us, listen, listen, you have something way better than being protected by Roman government. Um, you're protected by God's heaven, by God's army, by God's rule and reign. Hebrews 1, Psalm 37, you have God's army, you have God's rule and reign. They could own land. Jesus goes, no, who cares? You have land in heaven, right? John 14, I go to heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. You think you have land here? That's cool. You have land somewhere where the real estate's priceless, right? You have heavenly land. And then they had access to authority or Caesar. Remember Paul in Acts 22? Paul's literally getting beaten up wrongly, falsely. And Paul goes, stop, I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, oh no, we're beating up a Roman citizen without a trial. And they kind of began to panic. And Paul's like, take me to Caesar. They're like, oh gosh, no. There's a fear because they're beating up a Roman citizen and they didn't have a right to do that. Every Roman citizen had a right to court, a right to be standing in front of a judge. And Paul says, give me access to Caesar. And we know that eventually led to Paul's death. You know, you can read that in 2 Timothy. But here's the simple idea. He goes, I have access to greater authority than me. And Paul is saying, guess what? You don't just have access to Roman authority. You have access to God the Father. 
See, everything that you boast in about being a Roman citizen, I can boast in tenfold about being a citizen of heaven. That is the idea. You want to boast in your citizenship of Rome? Let us boast in our citizenship of heaven. Church, please, let's not miss this. The whole idea of being a colony of heaven for Philippines for us is how do we bring heaven to earth? How do we pray your, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven? That is our hope and that is our goal. And this is really the focus of like the Bible in the New Testament, to live in this way. So another way I, I want to put it is in 1 Peter 2. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writes it this way, and please do not miss these terms. He says, Beloved, I beg you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Here, notice what he says. I beg you as pilgrims and strangers. Think through those terms. I beg you as pilgrim, and I beg you as a stranger. First thought is this, a stranger, as a stranger, this is not our home. If you're a stranger to an area, it's not your home. You're a stranger because you're not at home. And Paul or Peter says, we are strangers. This is not our home. We are living for something so much greater. John 17, 16 says this, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. See, here's the idea. I want to make this really clear for us. Um, As being citizens of heaven, there's two reactions we can have. One reaction is to kind of hate the world and want to create our own little Christian community bubble. Bubble. One reaction is, we got to get out of the world, have this little village kind of movie thing. We got to have Christian toilet paper, Christian movies, Christian art, Christian everything. And if it's not Christian, I don't want it. And that's one reaction. Another reaction is to embrace it completely and just kind of embrace the world blindly. And I want to, hey, they talk this way, they do these things, let's just do it. Let's just, just take it on. Another option, and I believe the biblical option, is a redemptive mindset. Not how do we hate, how do we condemn, not how do we embrace, but how do we redeem? How do we take something the world throws at us and offers us and says, oh, well, we can take this and make it about Jesus. We can take this and make this about Jesus. We can use this word that is maybe more known and let's just make this about Jesus. There's another option to redeem all things. And this is Paul saying, listen, we're strangers. We're not of the world. You know, Jesus talked about this. We're, we're in the world, we're not of the world. And so that's the idea. We're strangers in this world. And then look at the next word. He says we're pilgrim. And as a pilgrim, it means we are on our way home. Can I just say, as a stranger, you're away from home. And as a pilgrim, you're on the way home. Think through the difference really quick. Did you guys get that? A stranger is someone who's away from home. A pilgrim, though, is someone who's on the way home. We're also not just away from home, but we're on our way home. We're on our way to heaven. We're on this journey to just be with God, to be with Jesus. And he says, listen, you're also a pilgrim. Keep in mind where your destination is. Listen, it's very interesting to me. The author of Hebrews takes the same words that Peter uses, the same idea that Paul communicates, and he says this about Abraham. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, we'll throw the verse up. Just listen to this, write this down. It says, but now, listen, now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That is verse 16. Sorry, verse 13. Abraham confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So here's what I want to point out. Abraham, he lived in tents, the Bible says. A wealthy man, 300 servants, tons of wealth, and he never built a home. Why? Because it says he knew he's a pilgrim and stranger. Abraham knows, I'm not going to make this my home. I'm on the way home. Hebrews says, notice it says in verse 16, he knew that there was a city prepared for him. Here's the idea for us, guys. We live with a light touch on the world. We are on our way home. We're pilgrims, we're strangers. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I thought it was so good. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we look around the world and go, why does this not satisfy me? Why does this, I'm just, I'm traveling from one thing to the next. One thing, I'm a stranger, I'm a pilgrim. This doesn't fulfill me. This doesn't satisfy me. He goes, you know why? You weren't made for the world. 
you're made for another world. That's why it seems like nothing seems to satisfy because the one thing that satisfies is not physical. It's spiritual. It's Jesus. So what do we do in the meantime? How do we live in the meantime? So okay, we're a pilgrim. We're a stranger. We're on our way home. What do we do in the meantime? Warren Wearsby said it best, and I'll throw it up here for you because it's just so good. He said this, the Christian life is a pilgrimage from earth to heaven, and our task is to take as many as possible with us as we make this journey. We're just on a pilgrimage from earth to heaven. What is our goal? How do we take as many people with us? How do we say, hey, join me? Hey, we can boast in certain rights we have here. You know, it's funny, like I, I brought my passport because this does remind me when I see this, like uh, United States, I'm an American citizen. So you know what happens when we travel around the world? If you go somewhere, you know, you go to Haiti, El Salvador, Egypt, wherever you go, you take this with you and it says, this is not my home. This reminds me that I'm just, I'm just a visitor. I'm a stranger here. This is not my home. I'm a tr- my true c- citizenship is in heaven or in America. But for us, we're here to say, no, no, our true citizenship like is in heaven. That's my real home. And my goal is to bring many people with us as we can. Amen? That is the hope. And so please do not miss this. He goes, the first group, all they care about is the flesh. All they care about is the world. The second group, note he says, and look at verse 21 now, or the end of verse 20. He says, which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Please listen. A strong motivation in life is anticipation. A strong motivation is anticipation. Here's what I mean. He goes, we are eagerly looking for Jesus. That's my motivation. I'm anticipating Jesus coming. That's my motivation. A strong motivation is anticipation. Let me just ask you this. Do you long for Jesus? Do you long to be with Jesus? Is there a side when you read it, when you read the scriptures about Jesus coming or we talk about it here, is there like, yes, Jesus come? What does that look like? He says, you know, citizens of heaven long for Jesus. Do you long to be with Jesus? Do you long to know Jesus? Do you long to just be in his presence where there's fullness of joy? He says they eagerly wait for Jesus. And last thought is this. You get ready for what you look forward to. Listen, you get ready for what you look forward to. Paul says we're eagerly waiting for Jesus. Hey, church, listen. You get ready for what you look forward to. So summer's coming up. You know what that means for some of us? That's terrifying. You're like, oh man, summer's coming. I got to get in shape. Got to start working out, right? Summer's coming. So I'm anticipating something and it's motivation to change. You go, ah, summer's coming. Better start eating better. Better start working out again. A strong motivation is anticipation. You start to change your lifestyle a little bit. You start to do things differently a little bit. Or you have a date coming up and you're like, oh, I got to brush my teeth now. Dang it, right? Like a strong motivation is anticipation. Something's coming. When you go on vacation, you go, I got to buy that bag. I got to get that camping gear. I got to get, like you make some lifestyle changes when you have a motivation of something ahead. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We're eagerly looking for that. We're eagerly looking for the day he'll transform our lowly body. Can we talk about resurrection before Easter Sunday? He goes, listen, Jesus will resurrect our body. Jesus, when he came out of the grave, same body but resurrected. Same body that said, what do you, the first thing he tells disciples, he goes, hey, do you have food? I love that. That just makes me so happy because I like food. He's like, hey, do you have food? Let's eat. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, but that same body walked through walls. That same body ascended into heaven. That same body did things it didn't do the first time. Is it still us? Yes, but it re- just resurrected. First John 3, 2 says, when we see him, we will be like him. See, not that we're going to be Jesus or God, but we will be like him. 
there, there's a thought to me where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he goes, this corruptible body will put on incorruption. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, he says this, uh, the bo- he says, as, man, or as we have be- been born in the image of man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. As we have borne the image of the first Adam, we shall bear the image of the second Adam. Just like we represent Adam in some way, Adam and Eve, or the offspring of Adam and Eve, and our bodies decay and our bodies die, he says, know what though? We'll also bear the image of the heavenly man. We'll also have that new body one day. He'll transform our lowly bodies. Hey, citizens of heaven, you look forward to this. You're eagerly looking for this. The older I get, the more surgeries I get. I'm like, yes, Lord, new body, come. No more ankle surgeries, yes. There's a side of this where you go, I want this. I just want to be with Jesus. I want him to come and rule and reign, subdue all things to himself. I'm looking for Jesus at the center of it all. My end is not, not my belly. It's not my fleshly appetites. It's not let me glory my shame. Let me love earthly things. Hey, for me, it's Jesus. I eagerly wait for Jesus. Church, can we eagerly wait for Jesus? Can we look for Jesus? Can we long for Jesus? Can we do what Warren Wearsby said and say, hey, we're on a pilgrimage to heaven. Come with me. Come with me. Jesus offers the free gift of salvation to all. I love how the gospel is available to all, but it's only through the person of Jesus. He says, all come, come, but it's only through Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Make Jesus known. I really am going to encourage you guys this week. We have a few days before Good Friday and Easter. Would you pray about who you can specifically look in the eyes and say, I've been praying for you. Would you please come? Just give, just give it a chance. Come hear about Jesus' death and resurrection and pray about who you can invite. I would love for that to be part of just who we are. We're on this journey to heaven, and we want to bring as many people as we can with us. Amen? So we're going to pray. We're just going to close some worship, and then we are going to have a couple last-minute announcements, as we normally do, and we'll let you guys go. So let's pray, and let's get into some worship. Father, um, we are humbled by the fact that you call us citizens of heaven. God, that is so humbling to know that we are seated in the heavenly places to know that we can have a confidence that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Lord, we just do, we do thank you. We just want to say thank you, God. Um, We ask that as we worship, as we sing, we reminded God, reminded of where um, our future is, reminded of our, our life being in your hands. Jesus, we want people to know you. God, I want to see our church eagerly look for you, love you, wait for you. So Jesus, we look forward to that. We're here now to even sing that, to, to praise you, to with our words express with our hearts what we feel, that Jesus, we love you and we thank you because you first loved us. And God, we just do, Jesus, we ask that you'd be here. We want to just know you more. We want to experience you more. Move in this place even, God. I ask that you take your word, what was spoken today, and just put it deep into our hearts. God, make us more like you. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Let's stand and close with worship.